the point is that you must be thinking about okay what's that next level or next wave of tech innovation that you can be early players in and that next wave of tech innovation might or might not be internet tech uh and these could very well come out of india right as long as our focus is on that next wave also you know if we remain obsessed in the coming decade on just competing with google and facebook and the established incumbents of the internet tech world of the last decade or two then i think we actually might end up missing the boat <laughs> again on the next wave hi welcome to forbes india's the daily tech conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs cxos and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on india i'm hariharakli and my guest today is anirudh suri managing partner of india internet fund whose book the great tech game was published recently in this episode anirudh talks about the strategic imperatives for india in technology including the importance of identifying the next big waves of tech and for india to find ways to be an early surfer of those waves uh, anirudh welcome to this podcast uh, thank you so much for making time for this your work of course is quite well known just for folks who may not be familiar with uh, your new book as well uh, tell us a bit about the path that led you to that book uh, and please feel free to start from as early in your life as you wish and i got to read some of that in your book and you i think really fascinating journey so maybe if you give give us a snapshot of that and then we'll go from there sure no thanks so much ari a uh, pleasure obviously to to uh, be speaking with you uh, no so I, as you mentioned i think about my book uh, the great tech game really uh, it's a it's a compilation of my thinking that has emanated from my various experiences along my journey as you mentioned i grew up in delhi but uh, finished up high school in singapore then spent over a decade in the us uh, and the uk uh, in the in the middle and then moved back to india uh, around a decade ago now and uh, been shuttling a little bit between the us and here but primarily been based in in india now and really my experiences whether it was as you mentioned at think tanks in washington dc where i was working on foreign policy and geopolitics related matter this was now over a decade and a half ago or whether it was working at mckinsey when i started in uh, new york working with clients there that uh, clients of mckinsey is that were starting to deal with some of the ramifications of the emergence of technological firms or rivals in their particular sectors that were leveraging tech heavily uh to my own experience working in the indian government briefly in delhi in the it ministry in meti as it's now known uh, as a policy advisor or now over the last decade as i have been uh, in the tech venture capital and startup world both in india and in the us i think the book really has been a culmination of a lot of things that were brewing in my head over the last decade decade and a half where i was seeing how technology was intersecting with really every field of life right so when i was working in a think tank i was seeing how technology was intersecting with foreign policy uh, i worked on the us india nuclear deal back in the day where of course nuclear technology was what was at the core of the uh discussions between the US and India at that time uh to you know the likes of Amazon and Netflix disrupting you know traditional established companies in the US 
to more recently having worked in the in the, in the tech ecosystem here and in the US technology has really shaped not just the economics in our world but the geopolitics and of course i think it's transforming society and because a lot of these things were brewing in my head i thought that it actually be a good idea to bring together some of these threads hari and i thought that you know especially coming from the tech vc world sometimes we get very much uh, focused on uh, you know our day to day work uh, in evaluating startups working with startups valuations and um sheets and deals become the focus and and sometimes i feel in all of this we tend to miss the bigger picture the larger mm-hmm. picture of what and how technology is transforming our world and what our role in in that transformation is or in that big picture is and that's really one of the main reasons i think why i wrote the book which is to provide that big picture perspective to all of us whether we are in the tech sector or not um to understand really what kind of transformation we are living in place it in a slightly longer historical context as you must have uh, you know seen in the book my first section really places uh, a lot of this into historical context i argue that much like agriculture much like global trade much like industrialization or colonization these were some of the great games of the past as i call them and mm. each of these games saw new winners and losers emerge um bases which countries or which regions understood the game the best and played the game the best right so i argue that today we are similarly living in this great tech game which is why i have called the book the great tech game we are living in this great tech game which is transforming the geopolitics of our world the economic competitiveness of nations and of course us as individuals and also transforming society much like industrialization did transforming everything around us and so we must understand the contours of that transformation get that big picture clear in our heads and then understand our role in it Mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit more uh, in the sense that I mean, historically of course technology has always played a strategic role but i guess today the hyper connectedness of everything uh, which i guess is also something that is just starting now uh, it's changing things in ways that are very very different and of course you also noted this and and it can also be scary i mean so to your mind uh, what's the biggest difference today in the way technology is influencing you know the future of entire nations or you know even people uh, globally oh, so you absolutely right hari that i think historically whether you look at what i call the great agri game when river based civilizations were the ones that succeeded or whether during the global trading era you know the last 1500 years technological innovation was always at the core of which countries region or people succeeded right so even if you look at the agri era there's what i i refer to in the book called the neolithic package uh which was basically agri based technology technology right of of irrigation of uh, seeds of productivity greater productivity at that time from your land that led to certain civilizations succeeding similarly on the trade side you look at uh you know to be honest even the colonial powers one of the main reasons why they succeeded at uh, dominating global trade was their military technology as well as their uh, navigation and oceanic technology right so portugal spain england the dutch they they were at the forefront of developing at that time what was important technology right which was navigation how to navigate 
long trade, long sort of oceanic trade. Right before that, uh, it was all regional trade that used to occur, and it was really the Western Europeans that mastered long distance navigation, right through through their compass technology, through other navigation technology that they developed. So you're right that technology has always been at, I would say, at the core or at least a player or a factor in the success of nations or regions in the past. I think what's different today, right, is that the the role that technology is now playing has expanded a lot more, right. So if I just use the colonial or industrialization example, clearly technology was at the core of their dominance, but it wasn't necessarily dominating everything in society or shaping everything in society. I believe the and you mentioned this right when you when you say hyperconnectedness. the connectedness has begun a long time ago uh, of humans and nations using technology but i think the level of it the extent of it is i think much more today so i think that's one the second difference i would say between then and now in the role of technology is the is the fact that technology now is starting to converge so different kinds of technologies are starting to converge to create that much bigger an impact right so the idea of convergence of let's say in today's world i was just talking to an entrepreneur earlier today uh, who was talking to me about the convergence of ai solar technology semiconductors and fabs right now these are four or three or four different kinds of technologies out there but it's the convergence of those that you know entrepreneurs typically tend to work at now and that convergence leads to not just 10x kind of improvements or enhancements in you know efficiency or speed or efficacy but really 100x and more right so i think that's another big difference that the convergence of technologies happening a lot more now or different technologies is happening much more now whereas earlier it was more isolated um, fields of technology that were creating impact individually right so i think that's number 2 third i would say that uh, and i talk about in the book uh, a fair bit about this that technology has now come into the hands of a lot more people than it used to right so again if you look at any of the previous uh, eras of the previous great games whether it was industrialization colonization global trade or agri technology was typically in the hands of a few right um whereas today you know whether it's the mobile device or other devices that have now uh, spread much more than earlier forms of technology did right so few people had access to let's say the steam engine back in the day few people had access to the railways when they first started whereas now the adoption and penetration of technology has become much deeper and much faster right so the adoption penetration lags are becoming much smaller globally so when now an invention happens somewhere the adoption globally becomes uh, happens much faster than was the case historically so i would say there are these three or four main differences as i see them between technology playing a big role in our lives you know 100 few hundred years ago even thousands of years ago and today i guess in the startup world particularly the preoccupation with valuations and unicorns and so on and earlier in this conversation as well you mentioned some of this that we don't quite grasp the scale depth and breadth of its impact i'm just quoting from your book give us an example of what the implications of that is when if we don't grasp the scale and you know the scope of what is happening what are we risking 
Sure. So I think I'll, I'll I'll start with one main thing, right? Which is, as I mentioned, in any great game or any sort of era, like major transformative era that you start to live through, it's often hard to step back and get that twenty thousand feet view. As I mentioned in the book, you know, when the Gutenberg press came about in you know in the fifteen hundreds, no one quite grasped the impact it would have on, let's say, religion. Right, the Protestant and Reformation, and the subsequent impact that had on education, the fact that that you know many scholars argue led to the Renaissance and the and the, and the scientific uh, temper in Europe, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think the first thing I would say is that if you don't quite understand the gra- the, the scale and the gravity of what you're living through, sometimes you miss the kind of multi-led impact. Uh, that you're likely to see across society, and the implication of that is that one, as a nation, as a people, as a, even families, sometimes you miss the boat, right? So one of the things I mention, uh, even in the book, is in a way India has missed the boat when it came to industrialization, when it came to even uh, as I argue the capitalism era, we missed the boat because maybe. we actually did not see the big picture of what was going on and the implication therefore is that you end up being a laggard and not a leader in that game right and i and i don't when i say game uh, i don't mean to uh, take away from the seriousness of what we're living through but 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 i do tend to think that if you don't get that big picture view sometimes you fail to compete at the right uh, level and at the right uh, with the right perspective in what's going on so i'll give you an example so i think you know we obviously as a country have done quite well over the last decade when it comes to the great tech game right, as i call it we obviously have many unicorns that have emerged we have a large internet user base uh, you know obviously one of the largest in the world um, we have you know one of the biggest number of unicorns also in the world we obviously have some of the best talent in the tech arena as a country right not just in india but globally you know we, we obviously uh, quote you know the likes of sundar pichai and satya nadella as prime examples of our uh, talent and and how far it's gone in the global uh, tech arena and while we have all these pieces i believe that if you don't see the big picture sometimes you tend to tend to become complacent and tend to pat yourself on the back for doing well but you might miss the fact that in fact you're still not necessarily one of the true leaders of the tech revolution right i think we are very well placed we are very well positioned as a country but we are not necessarily the ones who own a lot of the core tech ip in in, yeah. in the tech world right and i talk a lot about this in the book in the economic section about you know who are the real winners and losers in the tech arena and whether just a large internet user base is sufficient to make you a winner in this uh error and i say that ultimately we also must become a tech nation right we we must not remain a talent nation for example um and and start to own some of the layers of technology that tend to help create moats for companies right there's a reason why today our unicorns are often uh, burning a lot of cash today uh, mm-hmm. whereas if you look at some of the big tech firms in uh, in america they're sitting on billions and billions of dollars of cash on their balance sheets right so we have to ask what is that next level that we want to get to as a nation and for that i believe we need to understand the big picture the big game
that's going on and figure out okay how do we get to that next level of the game right um so i think that's probably one of the main implications i would point out to your quest yeah i mean so in fact on this point of uh, owning uh, the underlying ip if you permit me a longish question when unlike china india opened up itself to big tech and now we are dependent on them to the extent that there's probably no turning back and have we already crossed the point of no return where in some ways we need them more than they need us or uh, or do you think there is at least a window of opportunity where even if it's rapidly closing for more uh, symbiotic relationship to evolve sure so i i agree with you hari that now there's a lot of people who are like you mentioned uh, also like shridhar rambu of zoho has spoken about this a fair bit that uh, you know ultimately we cannot be building only the application layer of software right uh, we also need to be getting into the the more foundational layers of software whether it's the operating system layer or even it's the middle layer of software because that's where sometimes a lot of value also uh, resides right so i think that there is definitely a, a a growing recognition of the fact that we need to be building more cotech ip and own a lot of the infrastructure a lot of the ip a lot of the um core layers of technology that can help us make money right and generate wealth as a nation yeah that's it i think to your question about whether we have lost the game or that window is rapidly closing and whether a symbiotic relationship with big tech firms is where we should be headed see i i i'll make two points there right so one is that we have to understand that in the world of technology you know it's not a static world right technology evolves the pace of tech innovation is always quite fast right especially now so the point i make in the book is that actually we should not get obsessed or become obsessed about this question of whether we have lost the game that you know the facebooks and googles of the world have won because to me that's not the only game right mm-hmm. and that's definitely not the only game that will happen in the future the point i make in the book is that in fact i think europe and in countries like india and europe are sometimes i think spending a little bit more time than maybe we need to thinking about how to compete with the existing incumbent big tech players right versus actually thinking about okay what's that next wave of tech innovation that we can be early players in right so i think that if you were to ask me are we going to build the next google no most likely not in fact i would say like 99% not are we going to like when it comes to search let's say or online advertising probably not i think uh, will we make let's say build the next large social media platform out of india possibly but will we build a facebook or instagram exactly how it was built no i think that the point is that you must be thinking about okay what's that next level or next wave of tech innovation that you can be early players in and that next wave of tech innovation might or might not be internet tech i mentioned this now in the last section of my book hari that you know there's for example climate tech now yeah. climate tech is a emerging space again of tech innovation that will see a lot of convergence of technology to my point earlier you'll see a lot of the innovation that has happened in the worlds of ai and data and uh the in- internet world that will get combined with innovation on the uh let's say solar tech side for example 
and companies that are able to build that kind of convergence and synergy of technology uh, and build products for climate tech let's say could end up being massive winners in the next decade uh, and these could very well come out of india right as long as our focus is on that next wave also you know if we remain obsessed in the coming decade on just competing with google and facebook and the established incumbents of the internet tech world of the last decade or two then i think we actually might end up missing the boat <laughs> again on the next wave right so that's one point i make in the book to your question the other point i'll make is the fact that we should also recognize that the large big tech firms today that are you know that we often refer to are largely dominant on the b2c side the b2b tech world is still fairly fragmented fairly open for disruption and innovation and for indian companies indian startups to become large players right um so you might not end up seeing let's say trillion dollar companies but as i mentioned in the book you know if you look at the industrial era uh, germany is a very interesting example hari of how they created a lot of these mid sized economic giants in a way during the industrial era right they might yeah. not have built like let's say the the gs of the world but germany as an economy focused on i would say the mid sized uh, economic uh, firm strata of the whole uh, spectrum and 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 that worked well for them right and and so i argue in the book that as india we must also realize that we have to have a strategy for where what part of the global tech ecosystem we want to play is it the b2c trillion dollar tech company is that what we are looking to build right now in the next decade or is it that we want to compete let's say on the b2b saas b2b software side go deeper into that build a lot of instead of a few very very large companies build a lot more but mid sized companies right so and so on and so forth right so these are some of the um i would say the openings to your question that i think we do have and that we should leverage whether it's new emerging tech whether it's finding our niche within the global existing global tech ecosystem but we must as a country be clear on what role we will play in the global tech ecosystem and i think there's a lot of space i even i came into the book when i started doing my research quite pessimistic about you know whether a laggard country today a tech laggard could actually compete and catch up and by the end after having spoken to people from around the world and from all fields of um uh you know subjects i realized that actually once you start to go deeper there's a lot of open spaces that as a country or as a startup ecosystem you can capture and actually become a leader Mm-hmm. To your uh, uh, earlier point about uh, Sundar Pichai and Satya Nadella, and even the the business to business enterprise software tech, where it's still open, and we have we are now seeing a small number of Indian, uh, at least Indian origin, uh, founder led companies. Uh, Freshworks obviously comes to mind, uh, doing well, uh, but. i feel like that is that very thing is the flip side is also so poignant in the sense that sundar pichai became sundar pichai satya nadella became satya nadella uh, not in india but but in the us i mean and i get that you know there are historical reasons for this and i'm and i'm not bemoaning that what has happened but as you said looking forward in your mind what are the steps that we can take where we see uh, as you said this sundar pichai and the satya nadellas who can lead this next wave that you're talking about in india yeah yeah 
I think that's obviously a very pertinent uh, and important question, right? I think with it, it's very important from, uh, and this is not necessarily from a nationalistic standpoint either, right? Your question, I think it's, no. it's from the fact that you don't want, you want the, the, the trickle down effect of building large tech companies to flow through into your economy as well. Exactly. Because ultimately tech has all boats, right? So this to me is not just a nationalistic question, but it's actually a very important question from the perspective of whether your whether tech will help lift your entire society up or whether it will lift only very small sliver or a small section of society that has access to this kind of talent opportunity and so on. So very important question. I completely agree. So see, I, I think the framework I try and provide in the book, Hari, for this, for thinking about this question is, is the following. So I say that there in this sort of greater game, there are about, there are four to five main pieces that you have to get right. Right. Um, so there's there's capital, and these are you know if 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 anyone listening also is a student of economics, this will resonate with them. I'm a I'm a student of economics myself. So you know what what we call factors of production in economics. Right. There's capital. There's land, labor. These are the traditional factors of production. So almost building on that, I say that there are about four to five key factors that we have to make sure that we are doing well on. One is capital. One is uh, second is talent. Third is tech, and uh, the fourth is policy, and the fifth is strategy. Right. So I think that over the last decade or so, we've we've done quite well on uh, on capital side, right? Now, and I'm part of the VC world, so I can say this with with a fair bit of conviction that I think that the capital constraint that was there, let's say a decade or two ago, for any Indian entrepreneur, or Indian startup in the tech world. Um, because of which they might have migrated over to Silicon Valley or somewhere else, that capital constraint has now slowly, quite rapidly been removed. Right? So today an Indian entrepreneur sitting in India can raise very large sums of capital uh, much more easily now, I would say, compared to, let's say, a decade or two ago. So I would say broadly, we have been, uh, we've, we've done a decent job as a country of solving the capital problem. Though, of course, one, one uh, piece that I will mention there is, is that we have to unlock a lot more of our domestic capital to go into innovative companies and into innovative enterprises than just foreign capital, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that the returns of that capital also trickle down into our own economy as, as we were just talking about. So that's one piece, capital. The second piece is talent. I think we obviously have a lot of talent as, as, as we've just discussed that often ends up uh, going abroad. And... Uh, that piece, I think, is starting to get corrected as well as the scale of opportunities improves within India and the kind of access to capital that we now have uh, reaches such levels that are fairly similar almost to what a early stage entrepreneur in the US or elsewhere might have access to. I think talent also starts to remain here and or come back. Right. So, And I think we've seen this. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who've come back to India who were earlier working in the valley. And I think there we just have to make sure that as a, as a society, as a nation, as a economy, we continue to make things uh, better for people to innovate here, for people to take risks, etc. But I think that on the talent and capital side, we are fairly, I think, well positioned. I think where we are still lacking and where sometimes we'll still lose talent and, uh, you know, wealth creation opportunities is on the tech. Uh, and this goes back to the core tech IP piece I was talking about. 
And unless we improve our research capabilities in India, right? And this is both on the public sector side and on the private sector side. Unless we actually, as a nation, start to emphasize a lot more on fundamental research, start valuing research scientists, scientists, whether it's on the climate side or on the tech side, software tech, core tech, any uh, really aspect of tech. Unless we start valuing research a lot more. almost on the same scale as we've been valuing i would say the fact that satya nadella is the head of microsoft today or sundar pichai heads alphabet unless we start to accord the same kind of value and respect to folks in the research side research institutions start pouring in a lot more dollars or rupees rather into fundamental scientific and tech research i think we'll continue to lag on the tech side and then your best tech research talent will continue to go to the mits of the world will continue to go to cisco's of the world and the you know uh, um and firms like that right and so this is very important when it comes to artificial intelligence for example or other emerging forms of technology and even on climate tech you lose a lot of your great researchers to institutions outside uh because you're not giving them the kind of uh environment or the holding environment to do their best research right so i think that piece we really need to solve And, and focus on in the coming decade if you want to become a tech nation and not remain just a talent nation and that piece will actually help us retain a lot more of the talent also right i think that's the third piece the fourth piece is the strategy and the uh, policy piece the fourth and fifth pieces and i think that's where as a country as a as a government as a society we must understand that we are no longer living in the industrial era we're living in the tech era our regulations cannot as a result also be oriented towards the tech era our regulation our policies will have to become a lot more dynamic to take into account the fact that we are living in a completely new paradigm and i'll give you an example just to make this uh, clearer imagine if we were living 300 years ago or 400 years ago when the uh, you know when when in india or other developing countries so to say today uh, they were let's say largely agrarian and artisanal economies right imagine if they did not understand that the industrial revolution requires them to have a very different set of policies and they as a result just keep rejecting some of the new paradigms that are needed to succeed in the industrial era the result is that you end up being a laggard in that entire era for centuries right um just by being closed to the new paradigm so i think that on the policy side we have to be cognizant of the fact that we're living in a completely different paradigm it will require our policy makers our entrepreneurs our vcs everyone really to think afresh about what kind of policies we need to come out with what kind of regulatory frameworks are needed for this era right uh, finally is the strategy piece which we sort of talked about already which is as a country we must have a strategy and i'm not saying that the government needs to have a strategy necessarily but it's that as a country as a set of people both in the private sector and otherwise we need to be clear on what kind of role we can uh, niche we can build for india in the coming decade in the global tech ecosystem where we'll have a lot of value being retained i think if we get these four five pieces right hari then we are likely to see that we will not lose the talent we will unlock a lot of domestic capital we will own a lot of core tech ip that will generate a lot of wealth and uh, that trickle down effect will then actually lift all boats in in our society and an economy and that will also then enable us to build much better social infrastructure hopefully on the education and health side that can then enable a lot more indians 
to participate in the great tech game right so today it's still a sliver right ultimately we have to understand that we are still a very small sliver of the indian population that is really partaking in and maybe competing in the great tech game so we have to ensure that a much bigger part of our population is able to yeah so in that context if you step back and look look at everything that's happening in india and you know massive challenges that we face still in terms of very basic things like educating our poorest children and ensuring that their nutrition levels go up and things like that and, uh, and of course at the other end of the spectrum some phenomenal achievements and work happening in the startup ecosystem in space and you know nuclear energy and so on what gives what are some of the things that gives you optimism about uh, india's uh, tech enabled future and on the flip side what are the things that worry you the most yeah no i think a uh, great question i think um, so you know the the sources of optimism are that tech maybe until even a few years ago like even 3 to 5 years ago hari was being seen as a sector in india you know just mm-hmm. as a tech sector often people would talk about the it sector and then the tech sector and you know if you ask the common man like uh, or not i should even say common man or woman but if even when i was at family gatherings or with friends who were not in the tech world they would see that as a very uh, isolated standalone sector right that they often would not understand etc i think the source of optimism in my mind today is that whether you meet a doctor whether you meet an educator whether you meet a farmer whether you meet a trader whether you meet a pharmacist whether you you can you know you can take any field in india today any sector of the economy you can meet an industrialist in the steel or uh, energy sector or in the power sector everyone has realized that tech is penetrating their respective sectors now a lot is disrupting their sectors a lot and hence they must start to leverage tech in their respective sectors right to me that is probably the biggest source of optimism that tech is no longer now being seen as just a standalone sector but it's as i argue in the book it's being seen as a factor of production right so if today just take an sme you know a person running a small business anywhere in india they tend to usually make sure that they have a good group of people like labor working uh, with them even if it's just three or four people the other piece they need is capital uh and those have largely been the two factors of production that have helped them grow or survive or do well now i think people are starting to see it whether they talk about it in these terms or not but they start to they're starting to understand that the third factor of production that they need to accumulate leverage use in their daily productive activity whatever that might be you could be a journalist you could be a writer you could be a farmer you could be a trader right you could be a manufacturer no matter what sector you're in you have to leverage technology much like you would leverage capital or talent in your business and i think that when that starts to happen a lot then we'll find that the productivity levels of our entire economy and sectors even like agriculture which are actually if you look at our productivity levels we are much much lower than uh, on productivity levels per capita than you know developed nations and the main thing we really need to move up on is productivity right uh, and agriculture is one of those sectors in our economy which is especially low on productivity metrics 
But the moment you start leveraging tech, for example, even in agriculture, you start leveraging tech in healthcare and education, your productivity levels of people engaged in those sectors will go up. As a result, their incomes will go up and we become a much more sort of, I would say, upwardly, economically upwardly mobile country, no matter what sector you're working in. And so I think that's the main source of optimism. That's one. Other than the fact that I've already spoken about that we are solving, I think, the talent problem, the capital problem, and we are um, competing, I think, much more in the great tech game than, we, let's say, we were competing in the great industrialization game. Right? The sources of pessimism, on the other hand, Harry, are also, <laughs> are also there. And that's very important to understand early on. I, I, uh, in the book, I refer to the fact that the kinds of inequality that tech is also spawning. Mm-hmm. Right? Today, as you rightly mentioned, right, the two ends of the spectrum, you have people who are becoming billionaires right, within the span of a few years. Right, first time, first generation entrepreneurs, and that's amazing. I think that's an amazing thing that's happened in India over the last uh, two, three decades. Not just in tech, but even otherwise, that you have the ability to create, uh, you know, such opportunity and wealth for uh, for risk taking entrepreneurs in the country, no matter their background. Uh, but at the same time, you have people who are lagging, right, and they are still living in the same kind of uh, environment as they were living probably in the great industrialization game or let's say even the great agri game. Right? So today a farmer on a farm outside of Delhi just an hour or two out is living life almost the same way as he or she was living let's say even 400 years ago, right? Maybe with the exception that now the mobile phone has entered and so on. So when you see that kind of disparity, you worry as a society because the industrial era again provides a very interesting example. The kind of inequality we are seeing today, Hari, the last time we saw this kind of inequality in the world was around the early 1900s, 1910, etc. And economists have warned about this, this kind of massive inequality at that time inevitably led to two things. One, it led to, you know, uh, massive socio-political movements, right? So you can actually attribute the rise of communism, socialism, even nationalism, but the massive labor movement globally came as a result of the fact that the disparity between the labor class, so to say, in the factories and the capitalist class or the industrialist class became so wide that it led to a massive backlash in the form of social political movements that then had their own ramifications. And you can argue that the entire Cold War was a ramification, right? The World Wars were a ramification of this. The Soviet model, which was emphasizing labor and sort of more... uh, communist and socialist ideologies was in stark contrast to the capitalist ideology where concentration of wealth was not necessarily a big problem. And ultimately, those social political movements have transformed our world over the last hundred years. And I mean, we don't have to go into the details, but it's obvious that, you know, the Cold War shaped our world, the uh, communism, socialism, these movements have shaped the last century in, our, in, in, in the world. And, and I talk about this in the book that unless we keep in mind this question that you've asked, that there is such increasing disparity between one class that is competing in the tech world and the other that is disconnected from it. Unless we start to solve for this early on right now, we'll end up seeing a massive backlash, right? We'll end up seeing a massive backlash in the form of social political movements and this possibly ideological, economic ideological movements that uh, that, that will then create a lot of uh, rupture in our society and our world. Right. Um, so, so I think you're absolutely right that we have to, as a society, be, be thinking about how do we ensure that the 
fruits and benefits of technology and the opportunities technology affords today as an economic engine is accessible to as many people and i have some ideas there i'm happy to go into detail but i do think that it's a very important issue for policy makers to keep in mind and not to take lightly all right uh one question slightly on the personal front and i saw in the book that you say that we have to we are now faced with the imperative of making choices even as individuals when it comes to our approach to technology so i was just wondering over the last couple of years especially i mean through covid pandemic and so on if there are any interesting changes that you made in your personal approach to technology yes uh for sure uh for sure hari i think that in fact you know in researching uh, about the impact tech has on our culture on our values on our human behavior i started to actually understand a lot better how on my own personal level and even in my family i would say how technology was shaping us our behavior how we were spending our time etc and it made me a lot more cognizant of the fact that actually unless this becomes a two way street where you know technology will continue to shape us i think there's no doubt in my mind but at the same time sometimes we forget that we can shape technology and we can definitely shape our technology our use of it but we can also shape the design we can of technology right um our apps don't have to be built for example to maximize time spent on those apps right that doesn't necessarily have to be the design principle that all apps are built on right as as people criticize today social media apps for that design principle right so i think that's an important point that technology we must see as not just shaping us but we have to see it as something that we can shape to be in sync with the values that we care about the most and that's really what i have tried to do also over the last couple of years it's been a tough time for a lot of us personally especially the second wave of covid and otherwise also it's been a tough time for a lot of us um and what i've done personally is that i've become a lot more conscious to say let me first start with what i want to do today or what i want to do in this moment what i want to do in this hour or week and then see how technology will help me do that mm-hmm. if technology has a role in that right so i have kids i mean technology sometimes has a role in you know how i can enjoy my time with them but my goal is i want to enjoy my time with them right mm-hmm. and and so i start with the starting point of my objective of the things that i value the most and then i see okay does technology have a role to play in this or not technology doesn't have a role to play in everything right <laughs> despite whatever you might think ultimately just swimming with my children for an hour gives me a lot more pleasure than an hour on uh, the computer and laptop right and so the starting point for me has been okay what do i want out of my day or my week right as opposed to just by default uh being addicted to uh, our devices so i would say that's really one of the main things i have tried to do differently in terms of how i engage with technology or how i use technology in my you know daily life all right excellent many thanks again sir definitely hope to keep the conversation going no thank you this has been a, it's been a enjoyable very enjoyable conversation that's it for this conversation you can find all our podcasts at forbesindia.com and on your favorite podcast apps i'm hari arakali thank you for listening